0: Welcome to Coach Arya's podcast, Coach to Lead. My name is Meenakshi Ayer, and uh, I'm with Coach Arya, and I'm your webinar host. Uh, just wanted to welcome everyone. And today's uh, session is on coaching across cultures and global coaching. Michael Cullen here, who's uh, an associate trainer with Coach Arya. Uh, and uh, an ICF PCC coach, an executive and team coach. Uh, he'll be leading us in the session, facilitating the session. Uh, so I'm gonna pass it off to you, Michael.
1: Thank you very much, uh, Um Yes, I'm, I'm dialing in from Montreal, a very multicultural city, and uh, culture has always been a part of my upbringing. Uh, I had an Irish father, a Dutch mother, And I'm working in a Francophone environment in North America, which is largely Anglophone. So many different influences and um, approaches. And so this is one of the things that really drew me to this particular um, session today is how does culture influence you as a coach, you as a leader, and just you? Um, And these are some of the things that we're going to be looking and discussing with my guest, who I'll introduce in just a moment, you know. So we will be examining questions like, "What is culture? What does it mean to be coaching across cultures? What is a framework that can help us orient ourselves to working with the people around us in a way that we can be more sensitive, appreciative, inclusive uh, in understanding their worldview and how culture influences that." and and of course, what are the potential applications and benefits of using this approach? So, we will be uh, looking at uh, these aspects with uh, Philip Rosinski, who uh, I'm proud to say is a world authority in executive coaching, team coaching, global leadership. He's the first European to have been designated a master certified coach, MCC, by the International Coaching Federation, ICF. And since 1999, he's the principal of Rosinski & Company, a consultancy firm based in Belgium who partners uh, with people across the globe, helping leaders, teams, and organizations unleash their human potential to achieve sustainable, high performance. Uh, He is, as you probably know, the author of two seminal books, Coaching Across Cultures and Global Coaching. I have some copies here behind me and uh, which Harvard Business School chose, uh, certainly as the groundbreaking book, Coaching Across Cultures, uh, it featured it as a highly recommended book in the category of business leadership. Uh, Philip's innovative approach to bringing the crucial intercultural dimension into the practice of coaching has won him worldwide acclaim. And his book, Global Coaching, has been described as having moved the art and science of coaching to a new level and boy does that warm my heart because in the coaching cohorts that I've been leading I've always been talking about the art and science and uh, it's so wonderful to uh, meet you and have this time with you Philip. and uh, I look forward to hearing more about how all of this came about for you and what you can bring to today's discussion
2: thank you thank you very much Michael and Minakshi as well uh, for uh, welcoming me today and I want to thank all our participants for being with us. I look forward to this session together. The the first thing I I would like to say, um, building upon what Michael just said, is uh, traditional coaching has assumed a worldview, in my experience, that is uh, not universally applicable. and, And it is um, if we look at just traditional coaching, it's insufficient to address the challenges that we face in our world today. I've been a member of, uh, of the International Coach Federation for a very long time, I have a great respect for the ICF. Until recently, the ICF had among the list of competencies direct communication as a key, as a core competence for a coach. Well. Some coaches I know in the U.S., uh, being direct is not enough. You need to be blunt when you coach. You you need to make sure that people really get it, uh, that you confront them. It also happens that uh, I've been for over 10 years a professor in Japan, and I don't recommend always being direct because if you are always direct and only direct, what can happen is you can offend people, and the coaching is going to stop very abruptly. So here is just a simple example to say that, Direct communication is one form of communication, but it's not necessarily a panacea. There is something called indirect communication, which is about maintaining harmony, making sure you don't offend anybody. And that is an alternative. The good news, as we will see, doesn't have to be one or the other. Ideally, we want to be clear in our communication as well as sensitive. But this is just a simple example to say that coaching, as we know it, has come primarily, I have to say, from the US, has had a number of assumptions embedded in it that are not necessarily applicable worldwide. And we need to be aware of this. So what I've tried to do is integrate culture, the cultural perspective, systematically into coaching because somehow this had not been done before. And not only are we going to talk today about culture, that will be the main focus, but we'll talk also about other perspectives that i believe are important if we are to um, to awake aware and arise if we want to be awake aware and to arise to the challenges that we face today in the world which are very complex in nature and require looking at them from different perspectives so just uh, very briefly about uh, my journey i studied as an engineer in fact I, I studied in Belgium, then went to Stanford University, got my master's in engineering, and studied uh, there. And then worked, my first job was in the Silicon Valley as an engineer, then I came back to Europe, worked as a manager. And something that struck me is that the human potential is often underutilized. And that was the beginning of a long developmental journey. And eventually, I started to work as a coach without knowing at the time that what I was doing was actually coaching working with people, um, not just training people and letting them apply this in their own way, but helping them move forward to achieve their goals, their objectives and learning along the way. Then um, a few years later, as I said, I noticed that the cultural perspective somehow had been overlooked in coaching and that became an area of focus for me And I spoke at a conference on this subject already over 20 years ago, that was in London. Then the book, Coaching Across Cultures came out. And a few years later, the book, Global Coaching. We'll talk about both books um, in this session. And um, there is a, a, a tool I will also talk about, the Cultural Orientation Framework Assessment. This one came out in 2006, alongside with a certification program and I've had the chance to do that in different parts of the world. Um, the new COF assessment came out just uh, a couple of years ago, and I will invite you all to try it out. In fact, that at no cost, uh, it's available freely um, if you want to try it out. So just um, to, to state what the goals here are. For a lot of people, when they see the title, Coaching Across Cultures, they may have the impression that Hey, yeah, this is for people who work internationally, you know, and this is really simply about helping people work more effectively across cultures. That is indeed the case, although we are going to see it's not only a question of uh, national differences. We'll talk about culture in a much broader sense. But beyond this first goal, there is a, a more fundamental goal, I would say, and that is for me um, that coaching. Uh, across cultures is a more creative and a more complete form of coaching. What I, the reason for this, what I mean by this, is that culture is not cast in stone. We all have our biases, we all have our assumptions. But the good news is we don't need to fall prey to these assumptions if these assumptions, these biases don't work for us and don't work for people around us. So we have the possibility to go beyond our biases to learn from different cultures, different ways of working, different ways of communicating, different ways of managing time, different ways of organizing ourselves. We don't need to be stuck with one way, we can learn from different cultures. And this way, we just have more options available, more flexibility to be able to deal with a variety of situations. That's really the essence for me of coaching across culture. So if those of you, um, we thought that maybe coaching across cultures is just reserved for those who work internationally, uh, and that's just a niche market. No, it's really for everyone, everyone who's eager to go beyond current cultural assumptions to just have more choices available. So, coaching. I'm not going to spend a great deal of time defining coaching, but I think most of you are familiar with coaching. But for me. It's the art of facilitating the unleashing of people's potential. We as coaches believe that people have more potential than what they are currently able to deploy. And the use of this potential is deployed not just to deploy potential, but to reach important, meaningful objectives. So that would be my definition of coaching. And when I talk about coaches, by the way, I think we have a number of coaches today um, listening to us. Uh, I'm not only referring to professional coaches, I'm also referring to leaders, executive managers, who use coaching as a style of leadership, but even beyond that, who would use coaching as a leadership philosophy, meaning that as a leader, as a manager, I want to deploy the potential that exists in people working in my organization. I see it as my role to help unfold, deploy that potential. And if I do that as a leader, I would also argue that this person is a coach, even if the behavior may not be strictly coaching, okay? So um, coaching across cultures then is simply, as I said, a more creative form of coaching, because what we are doing here is unleashing the potential that resides in cultural diversity. If you remember my definition, unleashing the potential in people, here we are proactively striving to unleash the power that resides in cultural diversity. So now I have a question for you um, because I'm about to define the concept of culture. But maybe um, before I share my definition, I would be curious to 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 read or to hear your definitions. How would you define culture?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, yeah, we have some people writing in, so uh, we're hearing some comments uh, that you know culture is what separates me from other groups, norms, and behaviors um it's an environment within which we operate and work so i think we're talking about you know every company every corporation has its own culture <laughs> even departments have their own culture within Possibly. companies right Possibly. you have these like microclimates uh collective behavior of a group team a choice that they make of what to do and what to, not to do so i I'm, I'm guess i'm hearing a sense of you know peer pressure uh, that may manifest itself as a form of, uh, culture. Okay. Um, yeah.
2: All right. So I agree with all of this. Um, <laughs> let me just propose a definition here. Uh, I think that is consistent with what you have all said. It's a group phenomena. A number of you mentioned this, uh, the set of characteristics that would distinguish the member of one group from the members of another group. And the group could be several things. Oftentimes, I hear people talking about their culture as if they only had one culture. When in fact, we are part of several groups. We could be from a certain nation, working in a certain organization, as you say, uh, Michael, um, that organization, having a culture, a division within the, the, the organization, having a culture. We could have a certain profession. We could be from a certain generation. So we have different cultures. And in fact, our behavior, is typically going to depend uh, on the group we are associated with at the moment in time. When I'm with some of my friends, we will tease each other in a way that is acceptable in that context, but if I'm now in a serious business meeting, that same behavior would be unacceptable. Another example I could give is if I had started this session today saying I want to apologize, I'm utterly unprepared to speak in front of such a distinguished group. Please forgive me. What would you have said? Maybe some of you would have said, hey, this guy is lacking self-confidence. He needs some coaching to become more assertive. That could mm-hmm. be the case, but it could also be that I simply confuse the context. In Japan, that behavior could be okay. could be, in fact, expected. So um, if I'm not aware of these cultural differences, I may end up with a very wrong diagnostic and propose an approach that is very inappropriate. So culture is a very essential part that as coaches and as leaders we need to take into account. But what characteristics are we talking about? Um, There are these external characteristics and sometimes people just focus on those external characteristics. They would say that if you go to, let's say, China, you're supposed to, you know, give a business card like this, you're not supposed to toss it. I mean, it's useful to have that tip, but it's not enough to really understand the culture. To understand the culture, we need to look at what is below the surface and connect it to those visible manifestations. And here we have norms, values, and basic assumptions. Norms is what is appropriate and inappropriate. And, uh, you know, is it appropriate, for example, to coach over the phone or to coach over Zoom? Maybe some time ago, people would have said, no, we want to do this face to face, but these days, it has become the new norm for many people. But I know somebody in, in the Netherlands who says, I am for coaching over email. I think a number of you would disagree that, yeah, you don't want to coach over email. How do you do this? And he made a case that, hey, there are several advantages of for coaching over email. For me, as an intercultural coach, I'm not here to say you're right and he's wrong, but more to be open to the fact that different norms exist. And if this is working for you and for people around you, you know, that's fine. But if it's not working, that's when you may consider an alternative. The same could be said about values. Values is what is important for a group of people. In organizations, typically you have market share, profit. These days, sustainability would be an important value as well. Um, But the example I like to give is laziness, because um, my publisher in the U.S., they didn't like the, the word laziness. And I agreed to replace the word laziness with the value of doing as little work as possible. And you could say that's a terrible thing, laziness, but more and more these days you see people who have burnout, who are on the verge of burnout. And I would argue for somebody who's on the verge of burnout, laziness could be an interesting value to consider at that time. Because if, you, if laziness is important for you, then you would slow down, take your time, and maybe um, avoid a burnout. So just this is just a simple example, again, to say that a value that may not be ours could nevertheless be interesting have some merits and as an intercultural coach again the goal is to be open to different set of values that can have all sorts of merits and that could be useful in different situations now if we go even deeper we have something called basic assumptions or fundamental beliefs and that has to do with how do we deal with some of the universal challenges that we face and typically The way we deal with these challenges, we are not even aware of this. It's typically unconscious. So let me give an example. One one dilemma that we face, or one of the challenges that we face is, what is our relationship with the external environment? Are we in charge of our destiny? Well, in some culture, and I don't mean to stereotype, but in the US, there is this American dream, the notion that if you work hard, if you persevere, you can achieve anything. Um, Tony Robbins wrote a book whose title was Unlimited Power, suggesting that, hey, we have an amazing power. We could achieve anything. Yes, we can. And I think that's a great belief because it often works like a self-fulfilling prophecy. If I believe I can do it, I'm likely to put everything in place and, and then at the end, amazing success could indeed happen. However, there is a little problem in my experience. In my experience, we don't always have all the power. And uh, there is indeed something that could be called luck or fate, however you want to call it. And if we don't see that, what could happen is that we, um, we want to succeed so badly that we will do anything to succeed, including possibly cheating or going beyond our limitations not only our own limitations, but also the limitations of people around us and the planet as well, using those resources at a rate higher than what is necessary for the earth to regenerate itself. So this other perspective, we could call it Inshallah, if God will. Now, if we take this literally, we are in trouble because we can all stop working because we are not gonna make a difference anyway. I'm not going to suggest that. I'm not going to suggest that it's only a matter of luck and faith, but what I do suggest here is that there may be some wisdom here in this other perspective I've called humility. And that perspective may just be an invitation for us to better appreciate our limitations. And yes, if we succeed, maybe we are going to be less proud because we know that we cannot say it. we did on our own. Probably other people have helped us, have made it possible for us to have this success. But if we fail, we are not going to be that miserable because we have done our very best and that's all we could do. The good news is that it doesn't have to be one or the other. Um, Somehow we want to combine the two perspectives, acting with a lot of determination as if we had all the power while recognizing at the same time that we don't have all the power. It's a bit more paradoxical, it's a bit more complex, but I think that's what is needed today. And if I can make a connection with the COVID crisis that we are experiencing today, control on the positive side would mean that we take responsibility. We do whatever we can to help um, avoid the propagation of the virus and to find solutions. That would be the positive side of control. The shadow side of control would take the form, for example, of denial. Somebody, you may remember this politician who said, I was an athlete, so you know uh, there is no way I'm going to catch that disease, and if I do, it's not going to harm me. The science today, we don't know exactly who can get it, who cannot get it, The likelihood that we get it is low, but we don't know we could still get it. So who are we to say that we are never going to succumb from COVID? So that's one risk. Another risk would be that we want to control everything and we take excessive measures. We want to remove all risk. We are gonna shut all the companies, all the schools. So this way there is no virus around. That will work probably to eliminate the virus, but we are also social animals and we also need the economy. So if we shut everything down, we are also going to get into some form of trouble. So in this case, humility would be accepting some level of risk. And uh, again, it's not black and white. One thing I want to say here also is, at least those in the West, we are under the influence of Aristotle and the third excluded principle. Which states that if we have two contradictory propositions, if one is true, the other must be false. And that has led us to think in terms of or. Oh, it's either control or humility. In the East, there is more of a and form of thinking. Yin-Yang is not meant as two separate entities, they are both interwoven, interconnected. That's the form of thinking we need today thinking in terms of and versus or. so how can we have control and humility in this case all right so um it has some implications for coaching very practical implications if i'm only in control i may inadvertently push my coaches to go beyond their limitations and i think i'm serving them but in fact i may harm them inadvertently we see that often with sports coaches so this has very practical implications as well. Let me give another example here. That's another um, challenge that we face, the fact that, I'm sorry to say, we are going to die. Uh, We are all going to die at some point. When? We don't know, but we do know that we are going to die. So how do we deal with this situation? Well, in some cultures, We come to understand time and to see time as a scarce resource. There is never enough time to do all the things we need to do. And so what do we do as a result? We learn to be very productive, to do a lot of things in a short amount of time. And as a coach, if I'm also in this scarce time view, I will help my client be even more productive. And that's great, but the downside is that they may become so productive that they start living a life running from one place to another and i was speaking with a client yesterday said i have meetings back to backs before i i had five minutes to go from one meeting room to the other but these days working virtually i don't even have five minutes a click and the meeting is over another click and i'm in a different meeting and so i spend my day just running from one place to another so we can be efficient doing things right, but are we doing the right thing? To do this, we need a different perspective. Consider that time can also be viewed as plentiful. If I believe that time is plentiful, what's gonna happen is I'm just gonna slow down, I'm just gonna take the time, relax. And the paradox is that when I slow down, when I view time in a plentiful fashion, that's how I, I can probably better appreciate the scarcity of time. Savor each moment. I can discern what is really important here. I can be effective, focus on the important things, being effective, doing the right things, as opposed to just doing things right. And again, it doesn't have to be one or the other, but this has practical applications. Let me give one example. It used to be 30 years ago when I was coaching teams, including executive teams, they would easily you know, spend four days, five days on a team retreat. These days, I'm asked to coach a team in half a day because they don't have enough time. Even I had a request to coach a team, an executive team over coffee breaks because even half a day was too much. So the danger I see is for me to say, oh, I want the business, so I'm gonna say yes. And then it becomes mission impossible. So for me, the coaching starts at that stage. And I would say to the clients, why do you want this team coaching in the first place? you know what do you expect to achieve from this team coaching? if they don't give a compelling answer, I may simply tell them, "You know your time is so precious I don't think it's it's uh, it makes sense to spend half a day on a team retreat because or on team coaching because you have so many things to do. so I recommend not doing this at all. Uh, on the other hand, if they have a compelling reason for them to come together as a team, then I would say, I need more of your time. So we can also take the time to get to know each other, build relationship, take time to reflect, as opposed to just trying to cram many activities in a short amount. of time. So just some example to say that this cultural awareness just gives us more options, and we don't need to fall prey to just one uh, view of time in this case. Another way of looking at culture, in fact, would be to say that it concerns everything that has to do with nurture, what we have learned along the way, because when you think about it, what we have learned, typically we have learned from others, in schools, with our families, in our, um, with our friends, with different groups we've been associated with, as opposed to nature, what we are born with. And if we want to coach, people, I think we need to address both the nature part and the nurture part, all right? Any question so far before I, I share, let me tell you what's coming up. I want to share um, a vocabulary to navigate the cultural terrain. Because at a very practical level, I found that that is what is missing. A lot of people don't know how to address this concept of culture. There are so many things we can talk about, so many values, norms. Where do we start? We need a map. And that's what I'm I'm going to talk about in a moment. But maybe, Michael, um, just to say, if there are any questions at these stage?
1: I'll I'll check. But while we're doing that, um, you you kind of triggered a memory in me uh, when I went to uh, Saudi Arabia a number of years ago. And uh, the concept of time was very different there than it was here in North America. And um, for those of you who are kind of interested in how time can be a factor, uh, there was a, a film done uh, starring Tom Hanks called *A Hologram for the King. And it, it, the whole movie basically centers around two very different perspectives of time and, mm. uh, and, and, and how it can be in the moment versus uh, on the clock. Um, so certain things are more important than others. And the other thing I, what came up for me earlier too, when you were talking about culture was I remember working for a company and, um, it kind of word got back to me that, you know, I was the only one kind of walking down corridors or going to different departments, but it always looked like I wasn't really doing anything. So from that moment on, I always managed. I always made sure that I had a bunch of papers in my hand, and my phone was out, and I looked busy because that was part of the culture to give the sense of <laughs> that I was actually doing something. Um, and and to your point of uh, dichotomy, uh, nurture and nature, um, being an introvert, um, I needed quiet time to regenerate. Um, and that's, this is where I would go internally to resource myself, but I remember working for one manager who was an extrovert who always needed to see people around and he wanted, he wanted everybody out of their office in a central area so that he could see lots of chit chat and energy going back and forth. And for me as an introvert, it it was just like, it almost sucked the breath out of my body. So... You have Thank culture, you. but there's also, like you said, the nurture and the nature, and yes. and when those when those combine, it becomes a very um, complex and nuanced uh, approach that one has to be sensitive to.
2: Thank you, Michael. And indeed, what you said, extroversion, introversion, according to Carl Jung, we are born with those preferences, and so that would be more on the nature side, and and uh, here we are looking at that as well as the nurture. So. Understanding the similarities we have as well as the differences in in these two areas. So let me say a few words about the This um, map uh, Which I I call the cultural orientation framework, but before that We are not going to be able to to look at the entire map So what we need because there is so much we can talk about so What we are going to focus on is some of the salient points in the map in the forms of cultural orientations, which I define in this way, the inclination to think, feel, or act in a way that is determined by culture, or at least influenced by culture. And I gave some examples already, direct versus indirect communication, scarce time versus plentiful time, control versus humility. Those are all examples of cultural orientations. And Edward Stuart and Milton Bennett's research show that you know, the core difficulty in cross-cultural interaction is simply a failure to recognize relevant differences. Oftentimes what happens is we are uneasy uh, with somebody from a different culture, could be from different country, different generation, but we are not necessarily able to pinpoint what is specifically the difference here. If we are able to pinpoint the difference, we have already gone a long way because then it's just a matter of reconciling the differences that we have identified. So, um, just the simple awareness, and um, that's part of the theme of the concept, awareness, that alone is uh, already very significant. Um, and, and so here, if we look at um, this model, cultural orientation framework, I've not reinvented the wheel. What I've done is built upon the work of many interculturalists, Talcott-Partelsons in the 50s, Uh, Kuken and Strottbetz in the 60s, Edward Hall, and others. All these references you'll find in the book Coaching Across Cultures. But I have looked at um, cultural orientations in seven categories, which I think you will agree with me are important for coaches as well as for managers and leaders. To realize that there are different ways of communicating, different ways of organizing ourselves, of managing time. It's important to realize that there are these differences. And so here is the model. And by the way, um, Michael, maybe that would be a good time uh, to share those definitions. So I'm not gonna go over all these dimensions, but um, you will see, I think in the chat, um, a PDF with all these definitions and more, you can find much more in the two books, of course, about those dimensions. You recognize some we have already talked about, control versus humility, scarce versus plenty food. but there are many others Uh, that just um, can serve us to map out the cultural terrain. I'm not going to go through this right now, but I'm going to give some examples later on where I'm going to refer to some of these dimensions. All right? So, in fact, um, I mentioned the tool you have, you are all invited to try it out. There is a possibility if you go to cofassessment.com to take the complementary COF assessment, so there is no cost involved. But let me tell you, you are not going to receive a report with um, telling you, you are like this and you should do this and that, Um, that you are not going to receive. What you will receive is is results, for me, which don't matter per se. What matters is the coaching conversation you can have with those results, the reflection you can have with these results. That's what really matters. All right. And uh, that we have already talked about. Uh, You gave an example earlier about that. But um, what what I want to to mention and talk about now is the fact that if we look at coaching across cultures or intercultural coaching, there are several levels of applications. The first one would be the individual level. It starts with self-awareness, coaching ourselves. But of course, coaching one-on-one would be uh, Extremely important as an application for intercultural coaching. So I'm gonna give you in a moment the chance to do do some self-reflection. It's just gonna be a little time to give you a taste for this. Okay, so we'll do this in a moment. But let me first mention another area of application that is very important, and I will share some examples as well: is team coaching. Team coaching, teams are again increasingly diverse and how do we leverage that diversity? How do we address that diversity? So intercultural team coaching is essential as well. Another area of application is organizational development. So I'm not going to have probably the time today to go into much detail here, but I just want to mention that if you look at the statistics for merger, acquisition and alliances, it's just appalling. A majority of those ventures fail. And according to several research studies, the number one reason is culture. The good news is that that doesn't have to be uh, uh, the case. It doesn't have to be um, the case. We could turn these failures with all the financial cost and human misery into successes if we uh, use intercultural coaching. And when we do all this, by the way, I think we can all bring our modest contribution to help promote a bit more unity in diversity in society and in the world today. If you look at the world today, I think uh, that would not be a luxury. We could use more unity in diversity and we all play our part to, um, to address this. Okay, so let me just focus on the individual element here. And if you uh, have an opportunity to to take the assessment, you will see that you get results that look like this. And I just wanna show you um, one result here to give you a sense of how this can be used. For example, this is the first dimension, control, harmony, humility. If you remember what I said earlier, uh, control is this idea that I believe are very much in charge of my destiny. In this case, on the left-hand side, you would see, see somebody who has, who has a clear preference for control, meaning that the person believes, yes, life is what I make of it. I have pro- I have unlimited power, I can achieve anything. Um, it's it's just uh, in me. Um, it's not just a question of faith and luck. If you look at the right-hand side, those are just self-perceptions, but this person also says that I'm good at making things happen. Not only do I believe that the poor is in me, but I'm also able, quite able, to make things happen. So that's good news. What is not so good news, if you look at the result here, is on humility. That, that's a person, probably, who is saying that I have a difficulty to let go. I have a difficulty to accept my own limitations. And consequently, I'm probably at risk of taking on too much um, and of being miserable when things don't happen uh, the way I'd like them to happen. So if, if we are working with a person like this, you, I think you can have a sense of the kind of discussion we could have, celebrating what is working, but also addressing the potential issues here, okay? Um, so now let me, um, I have a question for you. We have talked about just a few dimensions here. You know, we ha- haven't gone through the entire list of 17 dimensions. And by the way, the tool would allow you to create even more dimensions. But I would like to, to give you at least just a few minutes to reflect on what are your cultural orientations? And we could just focus on one dimension we have discussed. Scarce time versus plentiful time, control versus humility, direct versus indirect communication. What is your cultural orientation? How could that vary depending on the context? It could be that at home I'm very direct, you know, with my kids, but at work with my boss I'm less direct, you know, um, for example. But the key question I I think would be the last two questions: How does that impact the way you coach, the way you lead? What do you tend to overuse, underuse? What we underuse typically, in my experience, represents a developmental opportunity. So I invite you to just choose one cultural dimensions and um, reflect on this. And if you are ready to share this with us, um, please share your um, reflections in the chat. And Michael, if, you can, if we have some people responding, if you would be willing to share just a couple of answers with us.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, uh, Philip. Uh, you know, every time I, I listen to you, something new pops up and uh, I get a new insight. Um, I remember uh, I was coaching some social entrepreneurs from around the world, and uh, one of them was working at the UN. So you can imagine uh, the heightened sensitivity around uh, cultural uh, bias. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he was struggling with Uh, teamwork it was remote uh, time zones of course Um, some people to your point were very prompt and very explicit in what they wanted from the meeting other people would just kind of show up at the last minute and um, any criticism of some people were taken very personally Uh, I remember working with one person and he said no in my culture we would never have a direct conversation if i had an issue with you i would contact someone in your organization to approach you uh, go through a, go through a, a third party and i was like wow so oftentimes <laughs> i find myself to your point as a coach you know um we're, we're often kind of oriented to okay, let's get a result, what action or behavior or what change or shift is gonna happen in you, dear client, going forward. And in fact, it may be um, not so much in them, but how they're integrating themselves into a foreign or diverse culture that they're struggling with. And so in that case, prompt action and direct action may not actually be the right result. And, and it's uh, easy
2: when I listen to you, uh, Michael, to, to judge people and uh, thinking this indirect person is shy, you know, um, is not courageous enough, doesn't speak up. But it's not the the motivation is uh, is to, to maintain okay. harmony. It's a positive intention there. So do we
1: have any replies?
2: Um, well, any? one of the
1: questions that came up with was, you know, how do we balance our own biases? Uh, if we focus on the nature aspect of our clients, um, so this idea of nurture, nature, um, how do we know what's informing us in in the sense that we can be aware of it and then basically know what to
2: do with it? Okay. All right, so, these are good coaches that we have. You know, I was asking a question, and in return, I get another question. So, uh, that's okay. That's okay.
0: So, and, and sorry to interrupt uh, really quick. Uh, there's someone here asking if that slide 19 can be displayed again that had the dimensions, I guess, on that.
2: All right. But you also hopefully have the, the PDF with all these definitions. Um, yes. You- yes. So so hopefully, but I can, yes, I can show, I can show you that slide. Sorry, I have to go through. Okay. So, but to answer the question, try to answer the question, I would say we don't need to know uh, necessarily if a a manifestation, behavioral manifestation we see is due to culture, to nature or nurture. We don't need to know for sure. and, And sometimes we won't know for sure. We can simply form an hypothesis. If I consider that this is a cultural manifestation and I deal with it as a cultural manifestation, um, and somehow that leads me and my coachee to a, a resolution, a favorable resolution, that's good enough. You know, We don't need to know for sure that that behavior was just cultural. Um, it could have been also a natural behavior. We don't need to know for sure. Sometimes, like uh, on purpose, we would frame the issue as a cultural issue, and that would allow people to save face and to say, "Michael, you know, we get along well, huh? but let's say we had a disagreement. Say I don't have an issue with you personally, Michael, but it was just a cultural misunderstanding. If that does the trick, you know, that's good enough. I'm not here as a researcher trying to put things in categories. Um, those uh, nature and nurture, yes." For the sake of the explanation, I, I turned that into categories. But in practice, it's all interconnected.
1: Yeah, and I'll just pick up on that. Um, I was working with a client, and at a given point, he turned to me and he says, OK, you're Canadian. You're all about the and. You're about making it a kind of a win-win. If, if you win, you want to do it so nobody else loses. Uh, I understand that's the way business is done there in, can- in Canada. That's the way I've understood it. You know that nobody wants to win at the expense of taking away business from anybody else, that you know we were very kind and considerate, polite. That's all the that would words be the, people the collaborative
2: use we see on the slide here: huh? More of a exactly.
1: exactly. And then he said to me, he says, "You don't understand. In my culture, it's win, I win and you die." And I was like, "Wow, okay. that's what strong language, right?" Okay. And, yeah. and of course, he was in an interpersonal conflict with someone else from another culture. He said, "Who has the same values?" And I was like, "Okay, so where do we go from here?"
2: Okay. Absolutely. So here, yeah. yeah, the vocabulary to here we could use is competitive, collaborative to describe that. If you're right. okay, Michael. Um, so. What I propose is to say a few words about um, team coaching, Um, as I promised. Yeah, great um, point, yeah, great point. And let me invite you, I I know that I have not given you a lot of time to reflect on this, so I would encourage you if to pair up maybe with somebody after this call and to coach each other around the questions I've just asked. Um, You know, these questions. So not only, self-reflection, but to coach each other on on these questions. Um, Raising our awareness, I think, is a great place to start and the the biases we have and the impact this has. But let's say a few words about uh, team coaching. First of all, I want to point out that I don't know how many of you coach teams, but even if the team is physically together and rather homogeneous, it's a challenge to to help build a high-performance team. But these days, we have two factors of complexity that are added to the inherent complexity of team coaching, and that's cultural diversity, as well as geographic distance, and oftentimes the two come together. We need coaching across cultures to help address the diversity element, whether people are physically together or working remotely. you know, when we have more diversity, do you think um, the performance will increase? Do you think the performance will decrease? Or do you think it will stay the same on average? If we could have a quick, um, I invite you to answer the questions very briefly on the chat. So is it the same on average? Or does it go up or does it go down? Will it go down? Um, you think? On average. And, and I will give you the answer based on several meta-studies. So, so
1: we're getting... Uh, uh, so, f- yeah, so far the majority
2: is increase. Increase. Well, I, yes, I would hope that that would be the case, but... <laughs> There's a reality. It doesn't affect team performance because sometimes it goes up, but sometimes it can go down as well. And the reason for this, when you have more diversity, you're also more challenges, more misunderstanding, more conflict. Also, you need more time to make sure we understand each other. And when you spend more time to make sure everybody understands each other, that will tend to decrease the the performance. And if I can share very briefly, there is another phenomena, a more subtle phenomena, which is, called the confirmation bias. Even if you have different views, that doesn't mean people are going to come together. There was an experiment done at Stanford University (laughs) with 48 students. 24 students were for the death penalty, 24 students against the death penalty, and they were presented with two fake studies, purported studies. One study advocated the death penalty, and the other study um, advocated against the death penalty. You could think that if I'm a student, you know, with a certain opinion, no, I can see both perspectives. My opinion will tend to shift to the middle, you know, and people will come together. But in fact, the opposite happens. What happens is if I believe, if I'm for the death penalty, I'm going to pay attention to the study advocating for the death penalty. The other study I'm going to dismiss. I'm not going to pay attention to it. So I'm even more reinforced in my initial belief. And the same is true if I'm against the death penalty. So you see also on Facebook these days or other social media, people tend to spend more time looking at things that reinforce their own beliefs as opposed to reading things that would be contrary to their beliefs. And as a result, they end up being more polarized. When we come together, sometimes we don't come together for the right reasons. It could be simply a pressure to conform. Uh, We censor ourselves, we don't dare to share a different view. Or, and that's the Abilene paradox you may have heard about, that's the story of somebody who proposed to go to a place called Abilene. He didn't really want to go there, but he thought the other would like it. And the others, they didn't want to go there, but they thought, since he has proposed that, he wants to go there, so let's go with him. And they go on this terrible journey And eventually they realized that nobody wanted to go there in the first place. So we have a lot of pressure to conform. And so those are two pitfalls, going apart, coming together, uh, but for the wrong reasons. So what is the antidote for that? Well, what we need is is cognitive diversity, being able to look at things from different perspectives. When that happens, according to Sustine and Hastie, their research at harvard university you're going to have more creativity and innovation in teams so somehow teams need to be tapping into different views different perspectives sunstein and Hastie don't really explain how you want to do this and that's where coaching across cultures comes in and i'm going to give an example in a moment it comes in um because the very goal of coaching across cultures is to have to deploy the potential in that diversity, as I've said before. So let me just share one example here to illustrate how this works in practice. This is a team I've worked with, an executive team, 11 members in that team, and this is the histogram with their results. So they all completed the assessment, and here are their results. So this team, I think you can see on the top is their orientations, and at the bottom, their self-perceived ability. This team believed very much in equality. Well, the way it happened, in, the way it's worked in this team is everybody had a say, and that was great. Everybody felt empowered, but sometimes there were endless discussions. And so some people complained to me when I did the interviews, when I do a, a team coaching, I would spend time with each member before the team coaching to understand their situation understand what's going on. And then I would meet with the team leader to debrief that and to discuss what we are going to do together. And in that, those interviews, people have told me, this leader is the best leader I've ever had. He gives me total freedom. He's the opposite of a micromanager. He's a laissez-faire leader. So for the senior people in teams, that was great. You know, They had freedom. They didn't have anybody this leader looking after them. But for the more junior members of this executive team, they complained that they would have liked a bit more direction from the guy. And in case of a conflict, they would have liked him to just come in and say, hey, this is what we need to do as opposed to letting this drag on and on. So I shared this with a team leader. He recognized that, hey, indeed, that was his style. The good news is we don't need to fall prey to those preferences. So he recognized that at times he would need to be more directive. And then now fast forward to the team retreat, we were there with the team. At some point there was a discussion between team members. You know, Some believe we should do this, the others believe they should do that. And my role as a facilitator is to try to find a way to, or, um, a synthesis of those different viewpoints, but I realized that I was not going to be able to do that. It was either going to be this way or this other way. And so at some point I turned to the team leader and I asked him, what is your decision? Fortunately, because we had discussed this, he said, that's my decision. People were shocked because they were not used to him saying that's the way it's going to be. But because they were aware of this um, cultural situation, they accepted it. His authority. You see here in the graph. Hopefully that makes sense. The red is the red on hierarchy means to, they are not so good with hierarchy, not so at ease with hierarchy. But nevertheless, they went all outside their comfort zone and they accepted his decision. So that's just at a very practical level how a team can grow, um, you know. And and in this case, the team was rather homogeneous, as you can see. But nevertheless, they were able to remove move uh, to, to to develop the underused part hierarchy yeah, in this case so let me give another example in this case you see direct indirect the team was more diverse some people more direct some people more indirect there was one gentleman from the Denmark quite direct and some people took offense like what Michael was saying earlier you know some people took offense and conversely, there was this woman who was who preferred indirect communication, and every lunch she was suffering because there was his her colleague eating a, a sandwich. She thought it was a smelly sandwich, but she didn't want to offend him. So she wouldn't say anything, but she would suffer every lunch, having the guy next to him eating that sandwich. What she, from this, she gave herself the permission to just spoke Speak to him and say, You know, would you mind eating this sandwich elsewhere? And uh, she said that very in a sensitive, kind fashion. And he said, Of course, I didn't realize that was a problem. So basically, they started to learn from each other, not being, not taking offense when somebody would speak more directly and giving themselves the permission to be a bit more direct in their communication. And so That's how they learn from each other and we're able to make the most of both forms of communication. So, you know, one thing is to say, we need to learn from our differences, but I found that using a tool like this gives me an opportunity to, to, you know, to confront the team in a constructive way and help them see precisely what they need to do to either leverage their differences or to start using something that they may have under it. Mm-hmm. And maybe one more thing I would say here is, when we think of diversity, oftentimes we think either of external diversity, having people from the minorities, women and men, and so on. So that external diversity, oftentimes that's the sole focus. Internal diversity would be, you know, to be ready to look at reality from different perspectives. So um, that's what Cass Sunstein is talking about. But I'd like to introduce an, another concept, which is explicit versus implicit diversity. I would argue that all teams are diverse, but sometimes they look homogeneous because they have not um, deployed the other, the, this diversity in them. The, the team, if you remember the example I gave, this team was very equalitarian, but the potential for hierarchy was in them it was just a matter of deploying this implicit um, diversity that was in them. All right, so so that's why I think all team coaching should really become intercultural team coaching. All right, does that make sense? Any question? Yeah, uh, I'll I'll
1: just check. But as you're saying that, uh, I remember working with a a group of team leaders uh, who each had 12 direct reports under them And I said, just let me ask you a question. Do you have your favorites? Oh, yeah. And how do you think the others are feeling about that? Oh. And uh, what do you think you're missing by having them not participate as much as you're participating with your favorites? And I said, oh, that's a good point. And so they made uh, an issue of spending equal time with every team member. And wow, did they get really important feedback that had been kind of culturally ingrained at this time in the company that it's better to be quiet than to risk putting your neck on the line by contributing or collaborating, which may be perceived as a criticism. So that was one part of it. And the, the other part then was with the team coaching, they all became very much aware and appreciative of their teams. But then it came to that crucial moment where they said, The team leaders turned to me and said hmm but is upper management going to (laughs) change and are other departments going to change and how will they react to our change because we're introducing a new culture within the culture
2: so several important points that you are making i think one, one point i think here is about making sure we listen to the minorities to those with a minority viewpoint so it's both a question for those people to to dare speaking up but also for those in charge to create a climate where it's okay, uh, where those people are in fact welcomed and and can bring this sort of view, so we avoid the groupthink we we talked about. Concerning the second point, I think it's both a question of, for me, um, there is a danger for people in saying, well, the upper management should do this and this and that. I tend to ask the team, what can you do at your level to make a difference? You know. And we can discuss how you are going to deal with your upper management. In fact, that's going to be part of the team coaching, is discuss how you are going to serve as a force to promote change in your company, positive change in your company. That's part of the intervention. And I've seen some examples um, of people who really were not the top leaders, they were VPs of one department, but they were the ones who initiated significant change in the entire organization. and I, you know, if you want to know yeah. more, there is a name that comes to mind Peter Leyland. He was a VP at Wiener Baxter Healthcare uh, at the time, and he was a great example of this. Um, I, I share his story in one of my books. But I think this, um, these I'm going to ask as rhetorical questions um, because I want mm-hmm. to move on and talk about global coaching. But yeah. the question I'm ask. Teams, if you were, if you had your collective results, uh, what are your strengths, assets that you want to celebrate? What may be your pitfalls? How can you capitalize on your strengths and address the pitfalls? We cannot be perfect. In you know, of course, uh, we cannot be great at everything. But the question is to ensure that we are clear about our vision, what we want to accomplish, and that culture, our culture, can help us achieve that. So, anything that could Um, in the way of achieving our vision needs to be addressed. So in the example you gave earlier, Michael, maybe being collaborative is enough. We don't need to to be also great at competition. Maybe that is enough to do the trick. But in some cases, it may be necessary, the example I gave here, to have both equality, the strength of equality and hierarchy. So let me um, maybe take the opportunity to say uh, a few just one word about diversity and inclusion, because that has become a theme we often hear about. I just want to briefly share um, something we, we evoked already. To be included, for me, is because to be part of the group, that would be the minimum. But hopefully, you want um, people to feel welcome in their diversity, feeling they belong, and not only that, but feeling they can thrive in that environment, that everybody can have a contribution. When you have that, that's when you can have real, true unity, not just uniformity, a bland version of unity, but through unity, a synthesis of the differences. That's when you have the creativity and innovation that kasson talks about. But then, I think now may be the time to say a few words about global coaching. We promised we would do that. And yeah. uh, as a transition, I would just say that we live that's a cliche in a VUCA world, in you know, volatile, uncertain. Mm-hmm complex and ambiguous, you've all heard this. But I think we need to address that, a new VUCA, which would be be composed of vision. And by vision, I mean here, having a clear sense of purpose, of meaning, and something that would need to be sustainable, to be able to continue to live and to thrive in this planet. We need unity, I just spoke about that. We need coaching, I think we can all make a difference Unforce people' people's potential. Awareness is important. Not just awareness of our personality differences, but cultural awareness is essential. And we need to be agile in the sense of being able to seize new opportunities and address threats. So that's what is needed. How do we do this? I think that's where global coaching can come in. And global coaching starts with this idea that um, you, you have you all know this story about the elephant here. Um, people looking at this elephant, specialists looking at the elephant from a narrow perspective. And if you look at the elephant from a narrow perspective, you can have a very wrong idea of what the elephant is really like. So to, to have a better appreciation for the elephant, we need to look at the global picture. And when we look at reality from a narrow, expert angle, we may miss these broad, picture, this overall context. So that's one issue. And not only that, but when we are only specialized in one area, we miss the opportunity to learn from other perspectives that will inform what we are doing. And today we live in a complex world, Complex um, complexity comes from Latin, what is woven together. The, this idea that complexity is a fabric of inseparably associated constituents. It's all connected. I discuss this in more depth, by the way, in my book Global Coaching, I make some connections with quantum mechanics, with the Carl Jung's uh, collective and conscious, and so on. I'm not gonna go into this here, but just to say that today, you know, reality is complex in the sense that it's all connected. And if we are going to address this, we need to expand the worldview. We need to look at reality from different angles. That's what I've attempted to do with global coaching by integrating multiple perspectives into coaching as well as leadership in different ways. And so at a practical level, I'm looking at six perspectives. All right. So let me um, briefly share these with you. And if we have some time later, I would be happy to zoom in on some of the perspectives if you have some questions, but let me just share this briefly. The physical perspective is this idea that coaches, leaders, you know, we face a lot of challenges. How do we maintain our stamina, our physical health and well-being? That's the basis. That's the foundation. These days, I see a lot of people cut on their sleep or cut on exercise or eat anything. The idea here is to treat health in a proactive fashion. If we want to, uh, there is no obligation, but if we want to be to feel better, to have stamina, is to make sure we sleep um, enough hours, we exercise in a proactive fashion, cardiovascular endurance, strength and power training. We exercise our balance, our flexibility. We pay attention to what we eat, um, a plant-based diet, low calories, uh, for example, high in uh, unrefined carbohydrates. There are a number of uh, things we can do so we can stay healthy for a long period of time. There is no guarantee. I mean, I know people with very unhealthy habits are able to live a very long life, and conversely, people who, you know, who do this well and still are going to, to fall sick. But... In terms of probability, chances are much greater if we pay attention to these dimensions that we will increase our well being and our stamina. So, that's one perspective that I would say is often overlooked. One that I'm not going to talk about because I think this is one that p- typically coaches do address and leaders is the managerial pers- perspective, focusing on productivity, results, measuring the impact we have. Psychology also is very well known by coaches. How do we build constructive relationship? How do we uh, acquire emotional intelligence? But we can learn from other psychological perspectives. For example, from positive psychology, we can learn to be more in the zone, uh, to thrive, to use more of our strengths. From, um, From psychodynamics, we can learn to understand some Apparently irrational behaviors in the form of unconscious defense mechanisms. It's very interesting to understand that, as coaches. So we are not surprised when you see these manifestations. We can learn from social psychology as well to understand the power of the situation um, that can lead people to do some strange things. Um, uh, there are these phenomenons of obedience, um, you know, obedience to authority. Uh, that is extreme. We are asked to do crazy things and we do this. Um, We also have the bystander effects. There are a number of effects that are interesting to understand. I'm not going to go into the details of this here. I just want to mention that there is a lot we can learn here. One perspective that is often overlooked is the political perspective. And for me, I define power as the ability to achieve our goals. That doesn't mean that I'm going to be very rich or that I will be the CEO. If I'm able to achieve my goals, I would say I have a lot of power. And politics would be the activity that helps me build that power. Oftentimes, I see leaders and managers who are just doing great work, but they overlook this dimension. And then they become very frustrated when they they are not promoted. And somebody who is less competent, who is not doing such a great work, um, gets a promotion that they are not receiving. So The political perspective is about paying attention to this dimension. And the good news, it doesn't have to be a destructive game. Politics can be constructive if I'm not just here to serve myself, but I'm eager to serve others as well. And then um, that requires something I would call constructive politics, which implies building alliances and a number of activities that sometimes coaches overlook. The cultural perspective I've spoken about. There is one other perspective, the spiritual perspective, which is very important as well. This is about meaning and purpose. This is about how do we deal with some of the existential challenges that we face, ethical dilemmas that we face? How do we feel more connected with ourselves, with others, with nature? That's important. How do we do... um, Good by doing well. So it's not just achieving our goals, but it's making a positive contribution today. So all these perspectives, I find are quite important in coaching. And let me just illustrate this with one example. Let me take a sip of water. Mm, yeah. if somebody, for example, is stressed out. A traditional coaching approach would be, if you are familiar with transactional analysis, to help person, the person realize that maybe he or she is stressed out because he or she always wants to be perfect, and that creates a lot of pressure because it's difficult to always be perfect. So the coach would help the person give himself or herself the permission to make mistakes at times, to not be perfect, to just be effective. If 90% is enough, you don't need to get 100 percent all the time. Um, Sometimes people are stressed out because they want to please everybody. If I want to please everybody, I may forget to take care of myself. And then I'm no longer going to be able to please others. So the coach here could help the person, give himself or herself permission to take care of yourself. And some coaches are just going to stop there. And even with that psychological perspective alone, they will make a huge difference. But if we look at global coaching, we are not gonna stop there. Again, we may invite a person to engage in some physical activities that will also help to reduce the stress level. From a managerial perspective, we'll have the person shift their leadership style so they are able to delegate effectively to others so they don't have to carry all the burden themselves. From a political perspective, sometimes we may feel stressed out because we lack power in the situation. Conversely, if if I have more power over the situation, I'm going to feel less stressed out, and that may require building proactively alliances with others. From a cultural perspective, I may recognize that, I have a preference for control or for scarce time, and that can also generate some stress. If I give myself the permission to slow down, or if I give myself the permission to just let go, my stress level will, will diminish as well. From a spiritual perspective, I may be stressed out because I'm doing things that are really against my core values, that really don't have necessarily meaning and purpose. I'm just an automatic pilot doing what I'm asked to do. If conversely I'm able to live a life that is closer to what I truly want, that is meaningful, purposeful, that contributes to creating a better world here for all of us, I will feel less stressed out. You see, I think hopefully you get a sense that combining these perspectives can give us um, something that is more powerful as an approach. I have some good news and bad news, though. For those of you who thought that coaching, you know, we don't need to know much. We just need to be present. We listen and we have some good questions and that's it. We don't need to know much. Ah, That's not going to be enough. You know, we need here, we need to, to learn much more. But for those of you, and I'm sure that's the majority of you who are curious, eager to continue to learn throughout your life, then coaching becomes more exciting because you have an opportunity to engage in a lifelong learning journey. It will never stop. We can learn from so many fields, so many different perspectives. While also I think, we need to understand is all those perspectives are interconnected, you know, if, if I don't if sometimes, um, by engaging in physical exercise, that's how I'm gonna feel more joyful, you know, it's all connected. Uh, If, uh, if I'm very tired, if I'm ill, I'm probably going to not feel so great. All those perspectives are connected. And we saw an example earlier, Michael, when we talked about nature, nurture, it's all connected. I'm not suggesting that we always have to use all these perspectives. But the idea here is that we are able to call upon the different perspectives as needed to be able to address complex challenges. We can have different conversations with our teams, with our leaders. Sometimes it will be about helping them Manage a relationship, be more constructive in a relationship with somebody. But at times we may ha- have a very different conversation with them. They are facing some existential challenges and we are there to help them address those. Alright, so I want to say for those of you who are familiar with adult developmental models. Now different mm-hmm. models out there, Eric Erickson, Robert Keegan. Um, different models. But one of the characteristics of the higher stages of adult development is this capacity to look at reality from different perspectives, to understand the paradoxical complex nature of reality, to serve multiple stakeholders. When I'm coaching my client, I'm not just there to serve these executives, but also all the stakeholders that this leader is meant to serve. So we need to, to be ready to, um, to look at reality from multiple stakeholders' viewpoints and from multiple perspectives. If we are not able to do that, it's going to be difficult for us to coach people who are at that level of development. So, that's something we can learn. Uh, and I guess coaching across cultural and global coachings help us acquire this multifaceted and complex view of reality. And here is my question to you before I show this definition. Um, so, to define global coaching, it would be an integrated approach calling upon multiple interconnected perspectives to unleash human potential towards meaningful pursuits. And it's both to help people achieve success, but also define success. What does it mean to be successful? Is it just making more money, uh, becoming the CEO, is that all? Uh, is it is it also about making? a positive difference in the world. So whatever that means, and we, we want to reflect. Sometimes the, the goal could be that we appreciate what we have already. It's not that we want something else, but we are better able to appreciate what we have already. So here's my questions to you. Um, I've briefly shared these six perspectives with you, but hopefully you are already able to have some insights in terms of, What are the perspectives that you are currently considering in your coaching in your life? And perhaps more importantly, what are you not considering today that could represent a Navi avenue for growth for you and for your coaching? So this is my questions to you and um, I invite you to answer in the the chat box.
1: I just want to express my heartfelt thank you for this presentation and uh, it's just so inspiring. And uh, beyond thought provoking, it really is inspiring. So I guess in that sense, I was drawn to the spirituality part of the, of the six that you've identified. And I kind of wished I'd done this uh, assessment a few years ago and then looked at it today. Because I was kind of surprised at the answers when I got the assessment results. I was like, huh, I would not have thought I would have got these results. 15 years ago, when I was in a different headspace, a different mind space. And, nice. you know, you're talking about global co- coaching, you're talking about coaching across cultures. And it all came into sharp focus, of course, because of COVID, that we are so now interconnected in more ways than we ever really mm-hmm. considered. Um, you know, it was usually, well, we can always find a McDonald's somewhere in the world. Uh, and maybe that's something that we have in common or flying around the world, but this idea now that we all have an opportunity to better understand and appreciate the way we can impact the world, both individually, collectively, culturally, and to be so open about that, to see that these are unbelievably wonderful options, opportunities, and resources that we can avail. And certainly to your point, as I'm looking at that question, one of the things I will definitely start being more conscious of and considerate of are people's cultural and or the cultural context that they're bringing a coaching topic to uh, the, the discussion. Um, so one of the, one, of the, one of the responses was living an ikigai life. So if you're familiar with ikigai, it's the sense having a sense of purpose match with your talents, interests, and strengths.
2: Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Focusing Definitely. on
1: inclusion uh, and spiritualities uh, in with leaders may be a bit of a stretch in the corporate world. So one of the writers, Don, here is wondering how do kind of how do you how do you kind of introduce that, or do you fold that into a coaching dynamic? Um, you know what what is your sense there philippe
2: do you want me to uh, try to answer that question or, or do we we can say I, I would be happy to say a few words about how do i use yeah. the visual perspective into practice um
1: yeah
2: all right Just, yeah um mm-hmm. so here's the definition huh? the increased awareness connection with self others nature with the divine don't need to be religious the the divine, immanent, that is in us, outside of us, finding meaning, purpose, appreciating life. One, we can learn from different philosophical traditions, and religious traditions, spiritual traditions. One example would be the Kabbalah, um, Jewish and Mm -hmm. Christian mysticism, and this idea that, uh, I I call it the sunflower strategy, um, turning towards the light, and you could say that's an esoteric concept, But what it means is simply appreciating things that we take for granted, the miracles of the day, Um, being more conscious of all the things that we take for granted. And um, that sometimes we need to be sick or or miserable to start to, to appreciate what we had. So if we can be more intentional in appreciating the good things, you know, maybe today we have not achieved all of our goals, but we have had an exchange, we have smiled, we have uh, uh, had this opportunity to talk with each other. How much do we appreciate that? But let me give a, a concrete example um, here. I had one leader who came to my office, and he's, uh, he was stressed out. He was in the financial sector, dealing with all sorts of issues. And I did something unusual um, with him. We had a trustful relationship. I live in the south of Brussels and there is a forest not far away. So I, I, I proposed that we would go to a forest. And we went to the forest. I went for a walk with him. And in the forest, he was still speaking about all these problems and so on. So I just asked him to, to just uh, I stop him and I said, have you noticed the forest here? He hadn't noticed, he was so caught up in his stuff. I asked him to observe the forest, and he said, oh, that's very nice, it's beautiful. So to take that in, and I did something unusual, I've seen that in the States, but not in Belgium, it's not culturally appropriate to do that, but I did it, uh, to hug a tree, and to feel the connection between himself and the tree. So this is a C, a big CFO in a company, hugging the tree in the forest, feel the connection. I did an exercise. But what happened after that, he was much more serene. And when we came back to the office after 30 minutes, he had gained more clarity and he was able to resolve his issues much more easily. And what he learned from this was in the day afterwards, he didn't have the chance to go to a forest every day, but he would take a few minutes to just step out, regroup, reflect, meditate, and that made a big difference in his life. That's at a very practical level, the spiritual perspective. But there are other aspects, and you know, I wish I had more. To, I'm I'm happy to stay more more if you want beyond the, the, a lot of time. But um, the spiritual perspective, there are other aspects to it. Um, and either you you know, we can stay more, or in the book, you'll find right. this in global coaching. I discuss that in more detail. So Absolutely,
1: yeah. Well, and some you. more variety,
2: yeah. search for meaning. What is your deeper purpose? In fact, I was in India, I did an activity in India, inviting people to use a collage uh, to reflect on their purpose. Uh, and I did this with senior executives. Uh, doing well by doing good, we talked about this um, existential exploration. So I'm not gonna go through this now, uh, but there are different things we can do. And that's beyond what simply mindfulness, which is important, but there are other things we could do with these perspectives. Well,
1: I, I want to, uh, this, this certainly, you know, the slides here uh, that you're bringing up and of course Rumi, yeah, <laughs> that's a great Yeah Can one. I share a
2: couple of slides to say goodbye to the group? Absolutely. Yes. Um, this is the one I like from Rumi. Yesterday I was mm-hmm. clever, I wanted to change the world, today I'm wise, so I want to change myself. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we all do as coaches. We are all on a journey to transform ourselves if we want to help transform the world. And I want to leave you with my contact information. So, oh, feel free to contact me uh, via LinkedIn. I have a Facebook page, a website. Um, so, feel free to contact me. I want to thank you, Michael, Inakshi, and all the participants for your presence today, even though I didn't see you. I'm sorry, I didn't see you, but I felt your presence and I want to wish you all the very best.
1: Well, thank you so very much, Philip. We're also very, very honored and privileged here at Coach Area to be uh, partnering with Philip to offer a course to further your and deepen your understanding, awareness, and growth as a coach. And to your point, continuous professional development in a way that uh, you can really uh, hone this and 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 bring it into your way of being, not just your way of doing. So, um, you know, and you talked about spirituality, it just so much ties into the title of this conference, right? Uh, be a, a awake, aware, and arise. And, uh, and, and so what is it that you can do to turn towards your own light and to... And to have others shine their light that you can be open to receiving it and, exactly. and, and, and basking in the light of cultural differences, diversity and options, opportunities and resources. So thank you so very much again, Philippe and, uh, and all the attendees who contributed to the, to the chat room. Um, I know we didn't get to all of your questions and comments, but uh, we certainly do appreciate your participation. And uh, with that, I'll just uh, put it over to uh, Menakshi to uh, to wrap up the session.
0: Thank you, Certainly. Thank you. Thank you so much, Philippe. It was this was just absolutely phenomenal. So many takeaways and so many insights. I think I've been guilty of having just one or maybe two perspectives on diversity, but the concept of cognitive diversity, the way you expressed that was just phenomenal. And and I'm culturally diverse. So it's very interesting for me, and that's that. Those are the kind of comments we were hearing on the chat as well. Everybody is leaving feeling very inspired. Uh, so thank you very much, and um, you know, wish you the best. And thank you for being here today, and all the attendees. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. You can listen and subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. We launch new episodes weekly. To learn more about coaching, leadership, and self-development, visit us at coacharia.com. That's C-O-A-C-H-A-R-Y-A.com. See you next time.